Brothers and sisters, if you would, please turn with me in your Bibles to our text this morning, which comes from the Gospel of Mark, as we'll be looking at chapter 14 and verses 22 to 25. Mark chapter 14, verses 22 to 25. Mark chapter 14, verses 22 to 25. Brothers and sisters, and if you would, hear with me the reading of God's Word. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you that I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine." until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Thus far is the reading of God's Word. Now, brothers and sisters, last week we opened up by saying that uh, it was Thursday in our Lord's Passion Week. It was Thursday in our Lord's Passion Week. And it was on that Thursday that we were told that Jesus sends two of His disciples, uh, Peter and John, into the city, into the city of Jerusalem to to secure a place for them to celebrate the Passover feast. We also said, though, that by the time Jesus and the other apostles reached the city of Jerusalem in order to recline at the table and eat, that the start of Friday has now begun. As we said, the Jewish days ran from sunset to sunset. And as they reclined at the table, they engaged in this uh, common ritual Uh, which occurred during the Passover feast. Here, this ritual consists of the head of household, or Jesus in our account, uh, drinking a first cup of wine and passing it around for the others to drink before the meal is brought out. The meal that was eaten that day consisted of unleavened bread, um, of bitter herbs, as well as roasted lamb. And as the meal is brought out, Uh, one of the young children there who would have been at the table would ask the head of the household, why is it that we eat these things? Right? Why, why, Why are these things to be eaten? And it's at that time that the head of the household will then recall, right? he will recount what God has done for Israel. Right? He will recount how the Lord passed over the firstborn of the Israelites who were living in the land of Egypt when he struck all the other homes in the land of Egypt Uh, with that tenth plague, putting to death uh, the firstborn of all those in the land of Egypt. Likewise, the head of the household will also recount to them uh, their deliverance from the Egyptians in the Exodus. After all of this is recounted then, together they would sing Psalm 113 to Psalm 115. And after singing those uh, psalms, they would participate or partake of of the second cup of wine as Jesus would drink it, and he would, he would pass it around to others. And at the conclusion of the meal, the father would eat the last morsel of the roasted lamb. And after eating that last morsel, they would together once again sing Psalm 116 through Psalm 118. And then the meal would conclude with the drinking of the fourth cup of wine. Now as we pick up today in our text in verse 22, we are brought to the portion of the evening in which occurs sometime between the second drinking of the cup and the time where 
the last morsel of the roasted lamb is to be eaten and the fourth cup is to be drank. And it's at this time in the evening then that Jesus interrupts the festivities and he says and he does something new. And the thing that, that new thing that Jesus does is he institutes the Lord's Supper as a new meal for God's new covenant people that is to be observed by the church perpetually until he returns in remembrance of what he was going to do in his sacrifice upon the cross for the sins of his people. And so it is the significance of the meal that Christ has established for the benefit of the church that we want to look further at this morning as we consider these four verses. And we're going to do so then under three headings this morning. And the three headings are these. First, the Lord's Supper reminds us of Christ's sacrifice. The Lord's Supper reminds us of Christ's sacrifice. Point number two. It reminds us of the spiritual benefits we receive by faith through participation in the meal. So the Lord's Supper reminds us of the spiritual benefits we receive by faith through participation in the meal. And then lastly or thirdly, the Lord's Supper reminds us that things are still incomplete. The Lord's Supper reminds us that things are still incomplete. Right? So point number one, it reminds us of Christ's sacrifice. Now in verse 22, that we're, we're told that as they are reclined at the table, Jesus uh, takes bread, He blesses bread, and He breaks it, and He gives it to the disciples saying, Take, this is My body. And then he, he takes the cup. And after having given thanks, He gives it them, to them to drink. And He said, This is My blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many. Now outside of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the institution of the Lord's Supper is recorded in one other place, and that is in 1 Corinthians. And it's in 1 Corinthians, and in particular, chapter 11, and verses 22 to 25, where, where Paul adds this. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. And so brothers and sisters, we see that the, the purpose of the institution of this Lord's table is so that we might remember Christ. He has given us this meal so that we might remember Him. And the figures that He gives to us by which we are to remember Him are bread and wine. They are bread and wine, which we are told signify the body and the blood of Christ respectively. So what about Christ, though, which the bread and wine signify, does He want us to remember? What in particular do the bread and wine signify that the Lord wants His people to remember every time we gather and participate in the meal? Well, it is the sacrifice of Himself for us that is to be remembered by His church as we participate in this meal. As the bread and the, the breaking of the bread signifies to us 
the suffering of Christ in His body for us. Right? The, the wine in the meal signifies the shedding of Christ's blood for us upon the cross. Now it's this aspect though of, of the breaking of the bread that really bears great significance. And I think that this is something that is oftentimes missed, but cannot be missed. It cannot be bypassed in the celebration of this meal. As the, as the meal is a visible a picture of the gospel before the eyes of God's people. And in the, the breaking of the bread, what it declares to us is that Christ has died for sinners. Right? That is what it displays for us. It is a visible picture of the gospel. It declares the gospel to us because His body had to be given up for us in order to make satisfaction for sin. Right? The body of Christ had to be had to be given up. Right? He had to, to go through these things. He had to suffer many things that, the, that satisfaction, full satisfaction, could be made for the saints. Now the wine ought to remind us of the blood of Christ, which poured forth out of His hands and out of His feet when He was nailed to the cross. Right? Likewise, uh, the wine ought to signify or symbolize to us the blood that poured forth out of the pierced side of our Lord as well. But that blood, brothers and sisters, needed to be shed because without it, the new covenant could not have been established. Right? The, the, the blood had to be shed or the covenant could not have been established. There had to be a shedding of the blood in order to confirm the covenant. This is what the author to the Hebrews tells us. In chapter 9, verse 18, he says, Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. Right? And so likewise, the, the new covenant had to be inaugurated by the shedding of blood, which is why Christ can say, this is my blood of the covenant. Because the shed blood of Christ was the covenant sacrifice by which Christ brings us into covenant fellowship with God. But likewise, just a few verses later, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, we're also told this, that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. And so a sacrifice needed to be offered to deal with sin. And so it was the sacrifice of Christ by the shedding of His blood by which now Christ has put away sin. Right? Offering up Himself, bringing about the forgiveness of sin that so now whoever believes in Him becomes a, a member of that new covenant by which we are now reconciled and embraced by God as His children. And brothers and sisters, we need to take a moment and just stop and think about this. In fact, every time we gather for the Lord's Supper, we need to stop and think about this. Right? Seeing those visible elements of the bread and the wine which visibly symbolize for us the body and blood of Christ ought to cause each and every one of us here to remember just how reprehensible your sin is. Right? Seeing the bread and the wine, the breaking of the bread, this ought to cause you to remember how reprehensible your sin is. Being reminded that sin is the cause of death and that is your sin and that is my sin which necessitated the sacrifice of Christ upon the cross. Seeing the breaking of the bread in the wine ought to remind us likewise of the magnitude of our sin. It ought to cause us to remember the magnitude of our sin. That nothing or no one else 
other than the perfect, spotless Lamb of God in His body and by His blood could atone for our sin. And likewise, the greatness of our transgression ought to be brought to our remembrance by seeing the greatness of the price that needed to be paid for our sin. And in response, it ought to draw out from the saints great thanksgiving and praise. Especially, brothers and sisters, when we hear what Jesus says at the end of verse 24, as He says that His blood was shed for the many. His blood was shed for the many. His blood was not shed for each and every individual who will ever be born. His blood was shed only for the many. His blood was shed only for those from whom the Father sent the Son into the world to redeem. And He sent the Son in the world to redeem those people, not because they had any redeeming qualities in themselves whatsoever. It was not that they had something redeemable about themselves, which is why God saved them, and others didn't, which is why He doesn't save them. Right? Because, brothers and sisters, we are all dead in our trespasses and sins. Right? We, we all, prior to Christ, were living in open rebellion to the Lord. We all were deserving of, of death and condemnation. God has set His special love upon some. And He sent His Son into the world to die for those people so that God's purpose of election might stand not because of any works you have done in righteousness, but simply because of the goodwill and purpose of our Lord. And so this ought to cause us to be thankful and to express that thanksgiving by obeying our Lord. And what is one of the ways in which you obey your Lord? How about coming to the Lord's Supper right, ready and prepared to receive it by faith? Right? Coming to the Lord's Supper ready and prepared to receive it by faith. How about also devoting ourselves to the service of the One who has purchased us by His blood? Right? Devoting ourselves to service to the One who purchased us by His blood. This then leads us into point number two, which is that the Lord's Supper reminds us of the spiritual benefits we receive by faith through the participation of this meal. Now, brothers and sisters, there are four uh, major views about uh, what is transpiring or, or what is occurring, what is taking place in the Lord's Supper. Okay, those, those four views are this, transubstantiation, consubstantiation, uh, spiritual presence, and memorial. Now, as Baptists, there are only two valid views that we can even consider. That is the spiritual presence view, and that is the memorial view. But according to uh, Reformed Baptists historically, and, and the Reformed in general, what they have held to, what they have confessed, is the spiritual presence view. And this is the same view that we hold here at this church, and we confess in the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. Now, at the very basis, though, of, of all of these views, transubstantiation, consubstantiation, um, spiritual presence, and memorial, is the memorial view. Right? Everyone sees uh, the Lord's Supper as a memorial. Uh, we see this in chapter 30 and paragraph 1 of our confession, where it reads this, The Supper of the Lord Jesus was instituted, instituted by Him the same night wherein He was betrayed, to be observed in His churches until the end of the world for the perpetual remembrance and showing forth the sacrifice in His death. 
Now the question though, brothers and sisters, becomes, uh, is the Lord's Supper only a commemoration and something that we do? Is the Lord's Supper only a commemoration, only a remembrance of Christ and something that we perform? And the Reformed would say no. The Reformed would say no. That there is more going on in the Supper than this. And in fact, God by His Spirit is effectually working grace in the hearts of all worthy participants. Right? All of those who are redeemed, who are participating in the meal by faith in Christ. And we see this in chapter 30 of our confession in paragraph 7, where it says this, Worthy receivers, outwardly partaking of the visible elements in this ordinance, do then also, inwardly by faith, really and indeed, not carnally, not corporally, but spiritually receive and feed upon Christ crucified and all the benefits of His death the body and blood of Christ, being then not corporately or carnally, but spiritually present to the faith of the believers in that ordinance as the elements themselves are to their outward senses. Brothers and sisters, this is why I say all the time that the Lord's Supper is a means of grace. The Lord's Supper is a means of grace because the Lord's table is an ordinance instituted by God by which... He gives to His people grace. right? The Lord's table, you can think of it as a, as a channel, a vehicle, a conduit by which grace comes to His people. And that grace that we receive in the Lord's Supper is simply the, the benefits of our redemption that He has secured. right? So in this meal, God uses it. He uses those visible symbols, those visible representations to strengthen our faith, right? to aid our faith, to increase our faith to bless us and to bless those who are in need of, of greater faith. Right? Christ, by His sacrifice and through the mediation of the new covenant, acquired grace for us. But now He distributes that grace to us through the means of grace, right? through, through these channels. And we, we recognize other means of grace as well. As well. Uh, we can think of the Word of God as a means of grace. Right? The reading but even more so the preaching of the Word. That's the primary means of grace by which God blesses His people and strengthens His people. But likewise, we can think of prayer as a means of grace as well as the two sacraments that God has given to His church, baptism and the Lord's table. Now, one of the texts that's instrumental for the spiritual presence view uh, comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 16. Here Paul says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? Now you see, brothers and sisters, this, this is more, much more than just a memorial. Right? What Paul is saying is that the, the Lord's Supper brings us into communion with Christ as the bread and the wine signify our present participation in the present benefits which Christ has secured for us in His death. The Lord's Supper brings us into communion with Christ as the bread and the cup signify our present participation in the present benefits of what His body and blood have secured for you and I. Hence, this meal is a means of grace then whereby we are spiritually nourished 
as redemption accomplished by Christ is given to, to God's people, is applied to us in the meal when it's received by faith in Christ. It's not some magical thing. You just eat it and it happens. It's when you participate in it, when you eat the elements by faith in Christ, believing and trusting that this was done for you. There is nothing magical about it. This is why the Lord's table, though, is called a, a sanctifying ordinance. It's a sanctifying ordinance. How so? Well, by faith and through the Spirit, right, He makes effectual grace to us as we are reminded of what Christ did for us as the supper shows forth the sacrifice of Christ for our sin. And we come to know and realize through the meal, through the supper, that that finished work was done for us and that our sins are forgiven through what He has done. Right? In this meal, our, our, our faith is being built up by God as we are reassured that we are truly partakers of the body and blood of Christ, as we feed upon Christ spiritually, as we eat the bread and the wine. Right? Our faith in the meal is being confirmed. It's being fortified. It's being comforted as we eat the bread and drink the cup, believing, yes, what we see here, Christ has done for me. That He has died for me. That my sins are forgiven because of what He has done. Which provides nourishment to the souls of the saints spiritually. Right? Those visible symbols of the, that Christ instituted in the supper, He gave as an aid to us. He gave them as a comfort to us. He gave them to strengthen us. But the bread and wine are earthly elements. Right? Meant to point us beyond themselves. Point us to something greater. It's meant to point us to the spiritual blessings that the body and blood of Christ have procured for us. Right? These symbols are given to us to invigorate our faith, right? to strengthen our faith, to build our faith up. And so we ought to see the importance of the continual practice of the Lord's Supper. Right? This meal helps to support and maintain our faith. Right? Just as you, brothers and sisters, eat food every day to maintain your physical bodies, we need the means of grace. We need the Lord's Supper to maintain our spiritual livelihood as well. Right? The Lord's Supper is a means by which God will provide spiritual grace for His people while He is gone. Right? This is why we are to continue to practice it. This is why when He says, this is my body of the bread and this is my blood of the wine and it commands us to eat of it and drink of it, it is to remind us that these earthly things symbolize something greater. It is to draw our minds to something higher than the earthly and the carnal. Because remember, our Lord Jesus is there when He says, this is my body. When He says, this is my blood. Right? He was standing beside them. Which means what? They weren't physically eating the body and blood of Christ. And so those, these elements are meant to raise our minds heavenward. Right, so that by faith and by spiritual eating, the Spirit would apply these benefits to the people of God, which will only cause our faith to grow and to increase. Right? But if you only believe that the meal is a memorial, look at how much you are missing out as you come before the Lord's table. You are missing out on the, on the means of grace if we are not looking to the meal as Christ has instituted it. Now, yes, brothers and sisters, I want us to know that we do do something in the meal. We do do something in the meal. But the problem is, is we, everyone knows that. 
What everyone neglects though and doesn't know is that Christ is doing something in the meal as well. Right? The Lord's Supper is not just you doing, it is Christ doing. There is a transaction occurring in the meal. And this is what the Dutch Reformed theologian Herman Boving points out when he says this, Christ not only gave Himself for His own, but He also gives Himself to His own. We ought to look at the Supper as an event through which we receive and not only give. Those are such important words, brothers and sisters. We have to come to realize that. Right? Because our faith is, is constantly attacked, isn't it? Right? We, we are constantly being assailed with temptations from the evil one meant to, meant to draw us away from Christ. But knowing what Christ does for us in this meal ought to be a source of great comfort for you and I. When we come to the meal, right, knowing that although our faith may be weak when we come to the meal, right, although our faith may have been beaten up in the weeks leading up to the meal, that through that meal, as we receive it by faith in Christ, He is strengthening the faith of the saints. Right? He is making the weak strong. Right? The, the downtrodden, He uplifts. The spiritually sick, He makes healthy. As He helps our faith in this meal so that we might be more assured of our faith in Him. Right? That we might be more assured of our security in Christ our Savior. And this leads us then to our third and our final point this morning, which is that the Lord's Supper reminds us that things are still incomplete. The Lord's Supper reminds us things are still incomplete. Look with me, please, at verse 25. Verse 25. We read this. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. The cup of the institution was, was the third cup of wine out of four. The fourth cup never gets drank by neither Jesus nor the apostles. Uh, that is because that fourth cup, which was to bring the Passover to an end, is now the cup that Jesus will drink when He returns. Which means that the supper was a meal never brought to completion. And so every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we need to recognize that things are not yet complete. And they will not be complete until Christ returns. Things will not be complete until He returns. In fact, brothers and sisters, every time we meet and we gather, this is exactly what we declare. Right? What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26? For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, what do you do? You proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Right? We are awaiting the triumphant arrival of Christ who did not remain in the grave, who was not defeated by death, but who was raised on the third day from the tomb, who has ascended on high, who reigns currently, and who sits at the right hand of God, and who will not return until the time of restoring of all things is at hand. And so in reality, brothers and sisters, this meal was given to us by God as a pledge that He will return. Right? The meal was given for us to celebrate as a pledge to us that He will return. And so every time we eat the meal, we must remember that our redemption also must still be brought to completion. And that will not occur until Christ returns and we receive those glorified bodies. This meal, though, is, is His promise to us. 
Right? The, the one who said to the apostles, I am going to go to Jerusalem and there I'm going to be delivered up to the chief priests and the scribes and I'm going to suffer all these things and I'm going to die and on the third day I'll be risen up. Right? The, the same one who said that and those exact things occurred is the same one who promises to us in this meal that likewise He will return again to gather His elect and when He does, we will be with Him at the marriage feast of the Lamb. And so in this meal, brothers and sisters, what we ought to see Christ teaching us is that not only in this meal are we to look backwards to the cross, but we are likewise to look forward to the return of Christ. This meal is not just a backward-looking meal, but a a forward-looking one as well. Yet, without the cross, your mind can never ascend to grasp that blessed hope. As the cross, Calvin says, is the ladder upon which our minds ascend to heaven. This is why also, brothers and sisters, we ought to see that this meal is a meal only for believers. This is only a meal for those who have a reason to hope for Christ's return. And why do we have that hope? Because we have been given that heavenly inheritance. The Lord's Supper, as we see from Jesus' celebration with His disciples, is also a meal for the family of God. As Jesus sups with His brothers in the faith. It is a, a meal for spiritual brothers and sisters as that one body meets together under the one head who, have, who is Christ, who all participate in fellowship with Christ and who have that bond of peace between themselves and the Holy Spirit. But for the unbeliever, though, who sits in the pew, right, seeing the Lord's Supper take place ought to frighten them and cause them terror because the meal declares the victory of Christ. The meal declares that He will come again to judge the living and the dead. The meal declares that He will come in open vindication of Himself publicly before all. And that when He comes, He will judge those who have rejected His grace time and time again in seeing the Lord's Supper take place and hearing the Gospel proclaimed. And yet every week, those unbelievers sitting in the pews ate the bread and drank the wine, eating and drinking judgment upon themselves. This is why, though, we ought to see the the Lord's table as a mercy that God has given to us. The Lord's table is a mercy to us. As I've said once and I'll say again, it's a visible picture of the Gospel for us that we see every month that is calling us to faith in Christ. The last thing, brothers and sisters, that I would like to highlight and draw everyone's attention to before we close is Christ's love shown for His church, but not the love He shows for His church in His sacrifice, but rather the love that Christ shows for His church in the institution of this meal. Just think about it. I want you to think about it. Think about what a, what a gut-wrenching and terrible time it is for the Lord at this moment. Right? He is a, he's going to experience sorrow upon sorrow. Right? He knows his, his close friend and associate is going to betray him. He knows that he's going to his death. He knows that when he goes to his death, all of those whom he loved and he cared for and he provided for are going to abandon him. And think about it. In this moment, when he knows all of these things are going to occur, what is Christ doing? He is simply considering the needs of his church and all. 
demonstrating his love for his church. As all of this is going on, as all of this is taking place, as Christ is progressing to his death, it's going to be a violent death at that, at the hands of his enemies. All Christ can think about is those whom he loves and how he can provide for their needs spiritually, although he is the one who is going to die. So many, when they know that they're going to die, when they get a diagnosis, maybe a terminal illness, you have three months to live, two weeks to live. What happens? At the end of thinking about themselves, right? Why, why me? Look at, think of all the things I'm not going to be able to enjoy because my life is coming to an end. They, they're consumed with all these different emotions. But Christ, I want you to see, never stops caring or thinking about His church and how He can strengthen them and how He can help them while He is away from us so that we would not be overcome by the evil one, but rather that we would remain steadfast in faith until the day that He returns. Brothers and sisters, oh how gracious, how merciful, how loving God is towards them who believe. Last week we said that all other Passover lambs pointed to Christ. We said that Christ is the the final lamb sacrificed. And just as the sacrifice of those Passover lambs were to recall to the Jews the deliverance that God had brought to them, the freedom from captivity, and their ability to now enter into the promised land of Canaan. What I want us to see in the Lord's Supper, in this new meal that Jesus institutes, it ought to cause us now to recall and to remember our deliverance and our freedom from the slavery of sin and death and how we now have been made able to enter into the promised land of God's heavenly kingdom by the sacrifice of Christ. So let us, brothers and sisters, remember that every time we gather for the Lord's Supper as we continue to proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your words, for they are words of eternal life. We thank You, Lord, for the institution of the Lord's Supper. We praise You as You are so wise in giving it to Your people as a means of grace by which You strengthen and keep us in the faith and preserve us into the day of Your coming. We ask, Lord, that You would help us, ready us each and every week to worship You, but most especially ready us for that, for that day in which we, we come to receive the Lord's Supper. Uh, help us, Lord, to, to think about these things that You have revealed to us in Your Word. And Lord, may it be a blessing to us. And we ask all these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen.